0: Number 14th, one of the giants of the Christian faith, R.C. Sproul, passed from this life and uh, is now enjoying his eternal reward. I don't know if there is an author or a pastor out there living today that has influenced my personal life and ministry as much as R.C. Sproul did. Uh, I began studying him in the early 80s, and when I heard that he passed and we were getting ready to go to Texas for a Christ- Christmas holiday... I grabbed the very first book that I have ever read by R.C. Sproul and took it with me to read it again and just reorient. And I went up online and watched his uh, memorial service. The eulogy that was done for R.C. by uh, Dr. John MacArthur is, is out of this world. That's worth going up online and watching it just, just for that. But uh, R.C. Sproul, just an incredible writer, A very intellectual man, but able to write in a way that even the likes of Wayne can understand. And this month, we are featuring R.C. Sproul's writings, and out at the main entrance to the coffee shop, there's a tall table there, a round table, and it's all R.C. Sproul books and booklets and pamphlets that are on there, and I invite you to discover R.C. The very first book that I ever read was The Holiness of God, and there's a more copies of that that came in this week, but uh, just check out this man. He's, he was one of the giants of our, of our time, and I, I sit back and I prayerfully contemplate who it is God will raise up to fill his shoes and to continue on that incredible ministry that he had. I come this morning with a lot of different feelings on my heart and mind. Um, for the last seven months... I have been sitting where you're sitting. You know, for 26 years, I was up here every Sunday, you know, shepherding and guiding and leading and proclaiming God's word to this flock. And then after we did the handoff in June, I spent a lot more time sitting out there. You know, I get to sit with my wife now. We haven't done that for 40 years. Sitting with my wife in church is a real, it's a brand new thrill I mean, we're discovering things about one another we never knew before just because we get to sit in church with each other now. But it's different out there than it is from up here. And I've realized that, and, you know, I was ordained into the gospel ministry 41 years ago this month. And there are certain things that I knew were true when I was ordained that continue just to compound and grow and the, and the conviction of those truths grows also. And I've never been more convinced that God's primary way of speaking to his church is through that which the Apostle Paul called the foolishness of preaching through the public proclamation of the word of God. Eugene Peterson, another one of my heroes, a few years ago wrote this, and this, this that I'm going to show you here, it's, it's small print up here, but this is reprinted and it's at the information booth. This is one of the most powerful statements about what we do here on Sunday mornings and the times we gather together than anybody has ever written. In corporate worship, that's what we're doing together. We've come together today. God's people assemble to hear God's word spoken in scripture, sermon, and sacrament. The faith that is created by that proclaimed word develops responses of praise, obedience, and commitment. At no time has there ever been a biblical faith or any kind of continuing relationship with God apart from such common worship. By persisting in the frequent and corporate worship in which the proclamation of God's word is central, God's people are prevented from making up a religion out of their own private ideas about God. They are also prevented from making a private, individualized salvation out of what they experience. By separating themselves from brothers and sisters with whom God has made it abundantly clear his saving love is to be shared both in receiving and in giving. That is an incredible statement of why we do what we do here each Sunday morning. This is why the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 10, admonishes us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. You see, when we gather together, Sunday after Sunday, the word that is proclaimed may speak to me as an individual. and It may speak to you as an individual. But more importantly, is it, a wor- it is a word proclaimed so that we might together grow and become ever more conformed to his image as a corporate body and thereby bear a corporate testimony of Christ, to this community in which we live. I don't know if you have sensed it, but in recent months, God has been bearing his heart to us through the messages that Pastor Jesse has been proclaiming from John's Gospel. Last Sunday's message for me was open-heart surgery. Through the proclamation of the Word last Sunday, God just laid my heart open and spoke to me in places I, I desperately needed to be spoken to. If you have missed any of these messages, I sure Exhort you to go to the SBC website and listen to them or to watch them because God is speaking to us in a mighty way. Jesse and I had an opportunity to do a kind of corporate counseling session this week with someone who may be a little dissatisfied with the goings-on at Sierra Bible Church. And the one thing I said to them, I said, you know, God is, when God speaks to us on a Sunday morning service, it's not just about you as an individual, though God will speak to you as an individual, but it's about the process of corporately making us one that we may have a powerful testimony as a church to the community in which we live. And this family, <clears throat> you know, if they were in the service once every four or five weeks, that was probably a lot. And I says, you feel disjointed and not part of because you don't have a clue what God's doing in our midst. Because God is fashioning something that happens Sunday by Sunday by Sunday by Sunday. And I, I, it took me a long time as a pastor even to realize this. I would look and think of what God is doing, then look over my shoulder and see how He's putting this chain together. And if and if you're only popping in every four or five weeks to catch what the latest message is, there is no continuity to understand from which we've come or to where we might be going. This is more than just about us as individuals. And I've realized this again, sitting out there where you are the last seven months and being fed and going, poking my wife and saying, did you hear that? Did you hear that? Are you listening? God is presently speaking to us in a mighty, mighty way. Not only in our Sunday morning services, but Sunday night, last Sunday night, we started our new Prothumia class, which is theological and biblical training for everyday life. And Brad Beers, one of our elders, is, is doing an apologetic study for the next six weeks. And there was nearly 80 people there last Sunday night. And the room was electric with anticipation and expectation of what God is doing and is going to do in our midst. And God anointed Brad mightily to speak to us last Sunday night. It was... Boy, I left here last Sunday, I was, I was full. Because God showed up. And the way he's been doing that, you know. I have a dear friend in Atlanta, Georgia, Dr. John Edmund Haggai, the head of the Haggai Institute. In the early 90s, Dr. Haggai was in this pulpit speaking to us. He did a men's retreat for us one weekend. And on the way out of the Lone Eagle Grill, in inclined village, he stopped me on the front steps and he said, Wayne, God is going to wrap his arms around the world through Sierra Bible Church. I didn't get it at that time. I didn't get it. He says, Wayne, it doesn't take a big church to do a great work for God. It takes a faithful church. And at that time, you know, this church was under 200 people. Today, over 500 people call Sierra Bible Church home. And God has, in these last years, wrapped his arms around the world through Sierra Bible Church. And is continuing to. And I just want you to know, he hasn't done anything yet. I so feel that my 26 years as a senior pastor of this church has been a foundational work. And that the most fruitful and productive days for this ministry are out the windshield, not in the rearview mirror. But it's a corporate work that God is going to do it. He's going to do it in us together. And together he's going to wrap his arms around the world through Sierra Bible Church. And we've been invited onto this stage to play a part. And as we come here week by week, Sunday after Sunday, God continues to speak into our hearts individually and corporately of what that work looks like and is going to look like. And he's inviting you to play your part. Oh, I am so excited about the days that lie ahead. God's in our midst right now. He's speaking to us. He spoke to us yesterday morning at the men's breakfast through Andrew. I'll tell you what, men, every other Saturday morning, God is bearing his heart to us at the men's breakfast. He's here. He's in our midst. And he is not silent. He is not silent. Let's stand together and read from the 12th chapter of John I'm going to back up just a little bit into where Jesse was last Sunday. John chapter 12, verse 35. So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Isn't that an interesting statement? After Jesus said this, he went and hid. How about that? I've wanted to do that a few times as a pastor. (laughs) Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and in whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Isaiah saw Jesus and he spoke of him. We'll get to there in a little bit. Nevertheless, even of the authorities, even Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Father in heaven, Once again, we come to these words that are your words. They're pure words. They're true words. They're powerful words. And they have the power to transform us evermore this day into the image of your Son. May our eyes be open. May our hearts be open. May we we be here with anticipation that uh, we've gathered here and God is among us. And he's come to speak to us. He's come to respond to our prayers and to our praises. Father, I love the writings of John. He is the one who in his first epistle said, Hey, everybody, the stuff we're telling you, we want you to know we were with him. We touched him, we ate with him, we walked with him. Our hands handled the word of life. We heard these words from his own lips. And so, Lord, these words that we read, they're, They're from an eyewitness. These are from someone who was there. Oh, Lord, may that stir us. May your spirit who caused the the, penning of these words in the first place now be the spirit who will stir us in the second place and send us forth from here, a little better equipped to proclaim the excellencies of him who brought us out of darkness into his wonderful light. And it's in the name of him who is Lord and King of all, we pray this day. Amen. One thing that Pastor Jesse pointed out last Sunday was that in verse 27 of this chapter, Jesus talks about this being his hour. You can go through the Gospels, you can go through the various parts of John up to this point, and there's a lot of places that said something did not happen because it was not yet his hour. And we enter into chapter 12, and it now says, this is the hour. And so from here to the end of the book, we are in the hour, and what does that mean? It means that we are in the primary reason that Christ left heaven's glory and came to this earth, in the form of that baby in Bethlehem, and grew up as a man, and was a carpenter, and then moved into the ministry that his father gave him. The culmination's about to come. Jesus says, it's now my hour. And so there ought to be an expectancy as we we go through these next chapters because it's the unfolding of, of what it really is all about. It's the nuts and bolts, it's the heart and soul of why he came. In my four decades as a pastor... I've had many people come to me and say, you know, Pastor, if I could just see a real bona fide miracle. If I could just see a miracle, then that would take care of all of my doubts. That'd be it. All I, need, I just, one good miracle. And I go, really? You see what this chapter says? Though he, Jesus, had done many signs before them. What's the next line say? Yeah. Are you different than they? We've been in this book for several months now. And there have been a few signs and wonders performed. Not the least was the last one out of chapter 11, which was Lazarus being raised from the dead. That rates right up here in my miracle book. But he's turned water into wine. He's opened the eyes of the blind. He's walked on the water. He's calmed the storm. He's fed the multitudes. And yet, and yet, they still did not believe in him. In the midst of this, Jesus makes a reference to the prophet Isaiah. And I invite you to turn with me to chapter 6. This, these first few verses in chapter 6, no one unpacks them better than R.C. Sproul does in the holiness of God. But we're going to see something here, a transition that happens in Isaiah's own life, and then a commission that is given to Isaiah that probably had a pretty frustrating result, depending on what Isaiah's expectations were. In Isaiah chapter 6, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him stood the seraphim, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You know, the one thing that's so interesting here is there's, there's something happening simultaneously here Isaiah is seeing the beauty and the glory and the holiness holiness and the purity of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And in that same microsecond, he gets to look into the abyss of his own heart. And when the two are in contrast, the prophet calls the prophet's doom on his own head. You know, as the prophets would say, woe unto you, Egypt, or woe unto you, Ethiopia, or woe unto you. He's now saying, woe unto me. And in this condition, I'm coming apart at the seams. He's literally disintegrating. Some of your verses say, I am undone. What we have here is Isaiah writhing on the floor of the temple, wishing that it would cave in to hide him from the gaze of the one who is thrice holy. The God in his mercy, just like he didn't leave you or me when we were in our misery before him, when we realized who the king was. He goes on in verse 80 says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. This is where Isaiah got saved. This is the grace of God applied to a man who has understood the, you know, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me. And the thing here is, not only is Isaiah restored by his sins being purged and cleansed, Isaiah is now restored to the place that he stands and offers himself in service unto the one who's just cleansed him. For it goes on, and says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And here's, here's Isaiah. Then I said, Here I am. Send me. Send me. And then he gets his commission. God says to him, Go to this people and say, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their eyes heavy, and blind their eyes. Lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Which we just read from chapter 12. Then Isaiah says, Okay? How long? And then he is told... In verse 11, until the cities lie waste without inhabitant, and the houses without a people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled, the holy seed is the stump. Isaiah has had a vision of the holy Jesus Christ in his glorified state. And he is now called to go forth and proclaim what he has heard and what he has seen. And yet, if you read here and you read in Jeremiah, revival wasn't the result. The people's hearts were hardened They refused to hear his word. And years later, Nebuchadnezzar, along with his hordes of soldiers, would invade the land, tear down Jerusalem's walls, and raise its temple, and kill thousands upon thousands of God's people, and carry thousands upon thousands of the rest of them off into Babylonian captivity, where only 70 years later, a handful, a remnant, the stump returns to rebuild and to restore. Isaiah, one who stood in the very presence of the pre-incarnate Christ, whose life was forever transformed by that which he saw, responds to the Lord, I will go. And yet the words that he speaks fall on deaf ears. And though he had done many miracles, many signs before them, they still did not believe him. The distinguishing mark of Jesus' ministry and the disciples that followed were the ability to perform supernatural wonders and signs. We call them miracles And yet, even from the text of Scripture, it appears that the next miracle was never enough. Because as Jesus stood bloodied and battered, hanging from a cross on Calvary's mountain, the very high priests that should have been honoring him and honoring his father stand before him and say, you, come on down and we'll believe. Show us one more thing. And we'll believe. You know, the question is, and like I said, I've been asked this scores of times over the years. Oh, Pastor, if I could just see that one bona fide, really absolute, genuine, 100% certain miracle, it'd change everything. I go, really? Really? The miracles that we see in the Scripture were never enough do signs and wonders build faith? Well, the children of Israel and Moses' day saw incredible supernatural manifestations. The cloud that shielded them from the burning rays of the desert sun each day became the world's largest security light by night. Instead of going to the grocery store, you just lifted the tent flap and stepped out into the produce aisle and picked up your provision for the day. Water followed them through the desert that came from a rock that Paul said was Christ Jesus himself. They needed no clothing or shoe stores because what they wore during the wilderness years never wore And yet, they murmured, they grumbled, they complained, they turned their backs on God and substituted Him for anything that wiggled or that they could make with their own hands. From where does faith come? And how is that faith built up? The Apostle Paul tells us this is from the J.B. Phillips translation of the New Testament. Faith, you see, can only come from hearing the message. And the message is the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing the gospel. Faith comes from hearing the gospel. Faith comes from embracing the gospel. Faith is built as we bury ourselves in the gospel. If you have faith problems, you've got gospel problems. You don't need a miracle. You need to get into God's Word and hide it in your heart and become familiar with it and and know the Jesus. Walk with that Jesus through the dusty roads of Galilee. Ride with Him on the stormy waves. My, oh my, oh my. Faith comes from the gospel. Yeah. From the gospel. Verse 42 lets us know that there were some that believed, but the ones it's talking about here, they've got a problem too. Look at verse 42. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. Okay? So that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of the message, he says like this, when push came to shove, they cared more about the approval of men than for the glory of God. This is talking about that perceived need for human approval. One author in our day that has explored this in such a wonderful way is Edward T. Welch in his book, when people are big, God is small. And the opposite of that is true. When God is big in your life, people are small. Several years ago, I had a fear of man issue in my own life. It almost cost me my ministry in this church. And two of the elders of this church lovingly took me aside and for six months fed into my life once a week as we studied together this book by Edward T. Welch. Where God became big in my eyes once again. And not man. This book is worth checking out. And in your study guide, the information on it is there. Because I have a feeling it's a problem that we all wrestle with. Every one of us at one time or another have been put into a position that our fear of man has been greater than our fear of God. We got a great example of this in Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, verse 66. Mark chapter 14, verse 66, a little story about a disciple named Simon Peter. And as Simon, or as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, "'You also were with the Nazarene Jesus.'" But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. You know, it's real easy for us to stand in judgment over Peter. My devotional reading this week, I was in 1 Peter, and Peter is one of the eyewitnesses. He says, we were with him on the holy mountain. He's talking about the Transfiguration Mountain, where Jesus appeared in his glorified state, along with Moses and along with Elijah. Peter's the one that wants to build some tents, some memorials for them. A voice comes out of heaven and says, this is my beloved son, hear him. Peter's the one who is fishing and humors this carpenter that doesn't know beans about fishing by tossing the net on the other side of the boat that's only this wide. If there ain't fish over here, there ain't fish over here. But you know those carpenters, so we'll we'll humor him. And they had so many fish, they had to get another boat to bring them all in. This is the one who, when he saw his master walking on the sea, jumped out of the boat and walked on it, too. He was there with the 12 baskets picking up the fragments. He was there when a shroud-encrusted Lazarus slipped out of his tomb. And now, in the presence of a little girl, his spine turns to jelly, and he invokes with a curse and swearing. I don't know this guy. I think we're a little hard on Peter. Because have we not at some time all denied our Lord? He asked us to speak up and we shut up. He asks us to stand up and we cower. An opportunity arises for us to speak up for him and we quietly make our way to the back of the crowd. Literally in those moments finding that we are ashamed to stand for him. You see in here it's safe. It's safe in here. You can say Jesus all day long in here and nobody's going to get upset about it. Okay? You can raise your hand in praise. You can sing to the top of your lungs. You can say amen when the preacher's preaching if he says anything it's worthy saying amen about. In here it's safe. These are your brothers and sisters. They're they're sinners who have been washed in the same blood of the same lamb. We're we're together. It's, It's safe. But out there, it's not so safe. And I'm here to let you know today, it's going to get less safe before it gets more safe. And so what do we do that we may not be Peters when we walk out here, but that we may stand and the strength that God gives to be the witness that he's called us to be. The question is, are you the same person out there that you are in here? Are you the same person out there that you are in here? What is it out there that we fear? Rejection? We don't want to look weird like that's norm? Come on, people. Not with it, somehow out of touch, less than intellectual, because it really takes a bunch of buffoons that don't even know how to think a thought to buy all this? What is it that we fear? Probably a little bit of all of it, isn't it? But you know what? We've all been there. And if you haven't, I'll trade places with you right now. But whatever it is, the Bible tells us that the fear of man is a snare. The fear of man lays a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord... safe. You see, Satan turns that around on us. He tells us we're going to be safe if we will shut up and sit down. Confine our faith to this little room every Sunday and be happy with that. And yet we answer to a master who says, go and let your light shine. Sitting in here and being happy with that it's not an option for us, brothers and sisters. We have been saved to proclaim. The one who's called you out of darkness has called you out of darkness that you may be a living, breathing, walking witness of his eternal life and his eternal light. And you see, in what we see here in that, in that passage is they believed, they just wouldn't confess it. for the fear of men. You know what a snare is? If you ever read of Plymouth Plantation by Governor William Bradford, he tells the story that after the, after the Mayflower arrived in Plymouth Harbor, they're still living on the Mayflower and they're taking daily their little shallop boat and exploring the regions of Cape Cod, trying to find some fresh water and a place that they can build their first village. William Bradford, this was prior to him becoming governor, walking through the woods, stepped into a snare that the natives had set to capture a deer. And all of a sudden he found himself hanging between heaven and earth by an ankle. That snare is, you know, it's a little, it's a trap. You bend it over, you hook it down, and with wire or with a, with a piece of rope, you make yourself a little loop, you put a trip mechanism on it, you cover it with leaves, and the unsuspecting come along and go... And that's exactly what the proverb writer is saying. Fear of man is a snare. We think that we're safe. And it's only a matter of time before, spiritually speaking, we'll find ourselves hanging between heaven and earth by our spiritual ankles. And what was Peter's boast before his denial of Christ? Not me. These other slobs, these other 11 slobs around the table, they may fail you, Jesus, but not me. And then he's bested by a servant girl. And I want you to know, if we take the same boast that Peter has, Satan has already stacked the deck with a thousand servant girls. It'll call your bluff out there one day. And your colors will have to be shown outside of this room. Who will you fear? God or man? By what will you be controlled? The words of the savior or the opinions of family and friends and co-workers and culture? I want you to know you're not the Lone Ranger. We all wrestle with this. And we have all met Peter's fate at one time or another. Have we not? This is yes. And this is no. And there were some among the leaders that believed in him. They just wouldn't confess it. Why? Why? Because their fear of man, what man thought, what man might say, was greater than their fear of God. The Bible is full of fear of man issues, it's full of it. And it never gives us these things without giving us remedies for it. And the Apostle Paul gives us one remedy when he says, I die. How often? come on every day day. you know i know in our little evangelistic circles we put so much on that altar call experience that uh that day that we surrendered and said yes to jesus and i've talked about mine the chief of surgery's office at portsmouth naval hospital the day that sandy and i said yes to jesus But I want you to know, the victorious Christian life didn't say just yes to Jesus in 1972. It says yes to Jesus every single day. And here's how Jesus put it. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. That goes over really well in the world today, isn't it? I mean, I watch television and and all the commercials are about self-denial. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. And you've got to pick up your cross. How often? Daily. I don't know about you, but I do better some days at this than others. Anybody? You know, and just as soon as I think I'm doing really well, guess what happens? Along comes the servant girl. One thing that I have learned. I dare not get out of bed in the morning without giving the morning to him. I usually do pretty well through the night. (laughs) But then I realize I'm going to have to get up and face the day. And my practice, and it doesn't happen every single day, but my practice is, Lord, right now, before my feet hit the ground, Take me by the hand and lead me this day. Walk at my side and have your way in my life. I surrender it again once more, Lord. I die again so that you may be Lord. And you know what? Most of the time when I cease to do that or forget to do that or just Don't do it for some reason or other. I get about halfway through the day, and guess what? The servant girl arrives. And with Peter, I say either with my actions or with my words or lack of there, don't know him. Never did when the fullness of the reality of the moment hits, my heart too breaks. And he receives me again and comforts me and sends me on. He says, Wayne, daily, you need, daily, daily, daily. Why? Because what did Peter say in the upper room? Not me. Not me. Not me. Therefore, if anyone thinks he stands, take heed. as he fells <laughs> You see, my standing isn't standing in my own strength. I mean, for crying out loud, I've been a pastor for 41 years. That should work for something, shouldn't it? It doesn't. It's still every day, Lord, take it today. Because the world and the flesh and the devil are at me just as soon as I stand up from my bed. And if I am not fitted by the armor of God and the power of the Spirit, I succumb to the servant girl. My brothers and sisters, that's why this can't be done, this that we're doing here by ourselves. I can't do it by myself. There's too many blind spots in my life, and I need brothers and sisters in Christ who love me enough to look at me and say, Wayne, your slip's showing. <laughs> Not to lift him up too high, but that old duffer back there, Terry Heilig, that that gruff old bear. He's really got a heart of all gold down inside. But I'll tell you what, there's been some times in the last 26 years that what saved me from myself and saved you from me was that brother coming into my office and pulling up a chair that was awfully uncomfortable and he got really too close. And he said, Wayne, I don't know if you see it, but. And in that place, God broke my heart and I repented. And found his grace to find my feet again and to walk with him this thing we're talking about that Jesse's been talking about we can't do it by ourselves I need you desperately Russell desperately and as we together week after week after week let the God's word speak into our life and then let our brothers and sisters speak into our lives God will form us into this entity It's going to be a powerful witness that cannot be refuted to a world waiting outside of our door. As Jesus said, that it's the power of unity that proves that he is who he claims to be and it's the power of love that proves that we really belong to him. So what are our greatest witnessing tools? Unity and love. It starts here. It starts right here. And then we rise from this place and we go and we will have the courage. And I'm not talking about going out there and being a spiritual pain in the neck. You know, machine gunning people with your scriptures. In fact, last week in our, in our apologetics class, the very first thing that Brad brought up is be ready in season and out of season to give a hope of that, give account of the hope that lies within you. You know what the next words are? Come on, who was there? With gentleness and respect. He says, if you're filling your heart with God's word to win the argument, your your motivation is wrong. I needed to hear those words because boy, as a younger pastor, (laughs) with gentleness and respect. I needed those words. And together we walk this out. And Truckee hears our word, not because we go out there machine gunning, but because in the strength of the Spirit, we just take our stand as children of God in the arenas of life when the opportunity arises for us to give an account of the hope that lies within us. And that's what God's teaching us in here. Sunday after Sunday. So daily. Daily. Offer it up. Our lives unto Him. Our lives for each other. That a believable gospel message will leak from this place and from our lives together. Father in heaven. Father in heaven. Forgive us for those times that we've been undercover Christians. No different than the ones in the passage that Get us in the right place and we'll say we believe, but get us out of the right place. We won't confess it there. And help us not to be too hard on our brother Peter because we've all succumbed to the servant girl at one time or another ourselves. And yet Jesus has given us the remedy that we die to self and pick up our crosses daily and find in that the strength and the courage and the determination to live out our destiny as lights of the world that cannot be hidden. But may we go forth in the love and the beauty and the gentleness and the respect of Christ. And I pray that as we do, as we speak and not run as we stand and not cower that the testimony will be that men and women and boys and girls here in Truckee, California will come to the light be delivered from their own darkness their own fears by the Savior who loves them by the Savior who lives in us and has commissioned us to tell them. Grant us by your word and by your strength and by the brothers and sisters that walk by our side the courage to fear God more than man. That God in all would be glorified. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.